Hello and welcome to episode 5 of this series 2 of Pullback Reveal with me, Kev Rook, and today's special guest is Milo Edwards. Uh, Milo Edwards is a UK-based stand-up comedian um, who has a quite remarkable story of his time spent in Russia uh, gigging out there. Uh, wasn't the reason that he went out there, went to do a bit of teaching, ended up doing some stand-up and being plucked for stardom on Russian television and gigging all over Russia off the back of that as well. Um, quite nice this one uh, for fans of the original format that we don't talk that much at all about coronavirus. So a little bit of respite for you there. I was uh, getting quite wary of the fact that we were talking about it loads and loads. So this is a nice one for me. Um, we waffle on. We, we're quite away into lockdown now, a couple of weeks, aren't we? So we... Um, struggling um myself mainly to be fair milo speaks like the uh, cambridge graduate that he is um impeccably all the way through and i struggle for some words and waffle on so uh, you know my style apologies for that up front anyway uh but no a really fun chat and we talk about the circuit um i feel like i've gone a bit do lally uh with it and a bit removed from it this quickly as well which is mad but um yeah we have a good old chat and uh milo's a great guy who you can see obviously on all the social media outlets and uh, a bit on tiktok as well now so yeah we have a good old chat about uh the russian circuit the uk circuit and a few bits in between as well um i hope you enjoy it let us know give us some feedback online and i will see you at the other side of this episode thanks very much Uh, thanks for agreeing to do this, mate. Yeah, no worries at all. But, you know, I'm not very busy at the moment. <laughs> no, it's kind imagine. of uh, it's a good time for podcasters looking for guests. Mm. I've got me pick oh, of the absolutely. bunch, mate. And you know, you're on the list, so you know, rightfully feel feel honoured. I think. I think <laughs> you know, no, that's good. So I'm glad I've, I've climbed over the uh, the sweaty pile of other comedians to make it on. That's yeah, what it's I, about really. Yeah, I'm, 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 I had a last minute dropout, obviously, but you know, it's uh, <laughs> uh, no, no, I do really appreciate it, mate. It's uh, yeah, good to get a chance to chat to you. Yeah, um, no. we'll just pile straight on if that's all right with you, unless yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, there's no admin or anything to do really. Um, so yeah, how are you? How th- should we just get the the thing out the way? We just we'll, we'll address the coughing elephant in the room. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's do that, mate. Um, how are you? First off, are you all right? Good. Yeah, I, I think I've actually I've probably rarely been healthier in like the last ten years because I've just I've moved back in with my mum temporarily, and uh, so I'm just like eating like a balanced diet. I've got nothing better to do, so I'm just exercising regularly. I, I think I've uh, it's a global pandemic, and I think I've never been healthier. It's wild. <laughs> I have thought this myself but uh, until now i've i've been didn't want to say it for fear of um you know getting slapped down but potentially as a nation this could lead to us like you've said being healthier <laughs> as ridiculous as that sounds than than we ever have been because i uh, apologies to people listening i have mentioned this in the last two episodes but it, it winds me up slightly that um my next door neighbours never normally go for a walk. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, uh, but they're, <laughs> they're out. They're out every day. They're, and that they would defend this hour's exercise, their right to it, um, with their lives. Mm. I think now. You know, so it's um, I- if anything, it's got p- 
people up and about uh, out of ignorant or wrong word stubbornness yeah. i should say yeah well as, as soon as you create a bit of scarcity you know suddenly the, the demand floods in for exercise maybe we should be doing this more often you know I, um yeah i uh, so yeah you, you're back at your mum's and like uh, you're not the first comic i've spoken to <laughs> recently um no who, i can imagine uh, not at your mum's who's at their mum's I, I should add yeah at one's at one's mother's yeah, yeah. exactly mate um so yeah, h- how how are you finding that? I mean, the the square, you know, the the square balanced diet and all that kind of thing. Apart, you're coping all right in close proximity to each other. Yeah, pretty good. I mean, yeah, I mean, like first of all, I would say, you know, if any other comedians are considering coming to my mum's, I I would recommend it. You know, there's not yeah. there's not a huge amount of excess space at this point, but you know, if anyone else is in need, yeah, I'd I'd recommend my mum. If you don't have a mum of your own, maybe oh, she's a pretty good mum, I would say. You know, uh. I, I, well, me and my mum get on really well, so it's been kind of fine. And I think she, she likes having me around, which I know isn't always the case. Um, but, uh, I mean, she, she's, I think she's a bit, like, kind of probably a, a tad on the lonely side most of the time. So I'm kind of, uh, I'm getting away with a lot by just providing company, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, obviously, yeah, for, like, so for, for myself, I'm, you know, locked in with the, the family and everything, you know, and mm. it's kind of... Uh, yeah, but y- you know it's um it, it's it, there's there's a reason why it's good to go to work sometimes I guess isn't there, you know of like not this constant kind of um yeah on on top of each other kind of state we're we're doing all right actually and we're lucky because we've got a couple of kids to okay you know, yeah I think the kids are really the well. testing factor there yeah yeah they they um, yeah and the homeschooling and all, all that stuff on the go as well. Oh god, yeah. To be honest, it, my my personal take is, if your kids are under fifteen, it just doesn't matter. Just let them do what they want. Like, it's like that kind of like because everything they do at school is like fundamentally pointless. Um, that I, it makes me. I we I was FaceTiming my brother today, and one of his kids is like six, and he's got all this like additional like work to do during this period from school. And I'm like, what is the fucking point? He's six. <laughs> like, just let him just let him go outside and be filthy. Like that's all he wants to do. Like it doesn't matter. Um, I can't imagine like him getting to 21 and being like, God, I really wish I'd really cracked on with some of this maths when I was six years old in that really golden three-month window I had. Yeah, that I, I didn't make the most of that lockdown education. Exactly. Could have learned Russian or something, you know. Could have. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I mean, saying that we, uh, I, I say we, I am mm. particularly anal about, and I'm even worse because our oldest child is four. <laughs> oh God. So, but I'm, I'm, I'm. So my bugbear here is um, that I'm coming across with it as a, an arse at the, so far, aren't I? But the another thing—it's well, your podcast, mate. Yeah. You've, got, you've got the choice. <laughs> um, it is so the key workers' kids are allowed to go to school. Mm. Um, okay, and I know that includes you know your shelf stackers and, and Tesco's people and stuff like that mm-hmm. as well. But it's also like all your your doctors' kids, and you know that's kind of. Um, you know, guys yeah. who are possibly, you know, in a more privileged position than a lot of other kids in society anyway, are then mm. sort of getting benefit of still having sort of structured time and education. So we're, we're trying to close the gap. That's what we're doing um, oh, during okay. the, the time that we've got at, at home. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> really, really getting them up. I've got, I've got all my kids reading like Maoist literature. That's what I'm doing. Oh, when she goes back, she's going to... They're they're going to be shocked, mate. Of uh, the 
hopefully it will come up on the curriculum because like you said otherwise i've completely wasted mm. my time haven't i but it's uh now it, it is good and it's nice to sort of um you know we've been forced into a period of you know spending time with our loved ones and and you know like mm. mums that we and probably the horrors thereof well exactly you know so it's going to have its positives and negatives i'm sure out mm. there that there's some people that are it's like the longest ever Christmas holidays or something, isn't it? Which is a test in time for a lot of people. Yeah. That are well, I best. think a lot of people's relationships seem to be like kind of held together by by a thread, and this is like a sort of stress. Like I think that um, you know, if I was uh, my girlfriend and I are actually like not quarantining together at the moment, but we spend like most of our time together anyway, so I think we'd find this fine. But I think I was just thinking about like if I'd been quarantined with my ex girlfriend, I probably would have lost my mind. I mean, when we were still together. I don't mean like now. <laughs> that would be that would definitely be weird. That would um, be a cruel twist of fate, wouldn't it? Would be that not something I would choose. Yeah, that um, yeah, but, but slightly more authoritarian state would have to be living in, I guess, where they sort of decreed who you have to be locked down with. It'd be quite that a bit would fun be if they did that. Yeah, that would be an excellent reality TV show. I mean, I, I tend to like hate most reality TV, but. I think that uh, a show where people had to be quarantined with their ex-partner would be absolutely hilarious. I would enjoy that a great deal. While they're Just real bitter while, arguments. Yeah. And while their current partner like looks on from mm. behind the glass, not able to, co- to yeah. communicate. F- you fuck Love Island. Let's have Discord Island. Yeah, That's what I want. I like it. Yeah, write, uh, write that down. I mean, uh, yeah, my... Uh, that's the that's the thing I've said it before as well though it's like all this time at home and I've probably never had less free time than it feels like I've got at the moment as well <laughs> just because of like the constant family stuff and everything you know it's like yeah what what is it like quarter to nine at night now and it's like there you go I can squeeze in an hour unless mm. someone starts screaming in a in a distant room. Well, I find even for me, it just it just slips away from me. Like I kind of uh, I've been sort of I was thinking about, you know, doing these like writing projects. I mean, I'm doing a bit of extra podcast stuff, but for the most part, I'm doing very little compared to what I normally do. But I just can't get up before like 10.30 a.m. I just I don't know. There's something about subconsciously. I know there is no necessity to do that. And so therefore, I just like my alarm goes off at like 9.45 or 10. And I'm just like, no, absolutely not. Can't do it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm, you're not going to get any sympathy uh, from me. No, I'm sure one. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's almost like um, like there's too long before your exams, that kind of feeling of like, mm. I've got ages. I've got absolutely ages before I leave, you know. I, c- I can sort of take the first three or four weeks of, of lockdown and then I'll start creating like my masterpiece. Um, yeah. I, I bet there's a lot of people out there feeling almost like, I don't know, would it be pressure almost as well to sort of be like, I should be coming up with my greatest work. I've never had, you know, this period of like no distractions or anything ever before in history. Yeah, well, it's a difficult, it's a difficult one as a comic, I think, because like, so this is probably like a little bit of a spicy take, but I have been just like absolutely cringing at all the people doing like live stream stand up comedy because I just think that must be like pulling teeth. Like I refuse to watch it or do it. I like kind of I can't think of anything worse. And so and I can't write stand up if I'm not gigging. So that's like the most creative work that I do. So at that point, I'm like, well, I can't do that. And so then um, I kind of I've got some other things like with the podcast and uh, I do I do two podcasts, one in English, which is like reasonably 
popular where we kind of do a lot of different things every week. And I do a podcast in Russian with another comic. Um, and then kind of beyond that, I've been like doing a bit of live stream stuff, but only like chit chat stuff, not uh, stand up. And I've been trying to, I've been for a while trying to write this like memoir type book about uh, this three year period that I spent in Russia. Yeah. But, um, I like, and I have to write a 10,000 word proposal, but I just like every time I sit down and I do like 500 words, I'm like, yeah, fuck that. <laughs> Well, do you know what? Let's um, let let's do let's make this like a we we can almost make this like a pre-lockdown version of what mm. this podcast used to be, which was like okay. a- actually talking about stand-up comedy with people. Um, okay. W- but all that's happened is I asked the question at, at, of the first four episodes of this series at the start of like how are you doing with lockdown, and then like an hour later we're like. Oh shit! That's all we've talked about for the whole time. Isn't <laughs> Conspiracy it? theories about whether or not they're like doing a weekend at Bernie's on Boris Johnson. Yeah, I- exactly. All yeah. of that on the go, mate. So, um, mm-hmm. your 2019 Edinburgh show was about your three years in Russia. Have I got that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, is it is that then what the I guess that that's the basis of these these memoirs and you're writing from that. Yeah, so I kind of, um, uh, it, it was a really strange time in my life. And the, the stand-up show was quite easy to write in that I was um, I was a TV comedian out there for the sort of latter kind of two and a half years of that period. And so I wrote a lot of stand-up while I was there about the things that I was experiencing. So I had a lot of like raw material to work with. And then I just kind of came up with a structure that worked and then wrote some other bits around it and sort of linked it all together. And then it, it sort of coalesced quite easily as a show. Whereas the book, I'm kind of like, every time I write something, because the idea of writing a book proposal is that you should write, you know, kind of um, chunks, like thousand word chunks, like include 10 of them and be like, okay, these are some bits of the book uh, that give a kind of sample of what it would be like. Yeah, um, now, now pay and every me to, ro- to write the rest, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so um, every time that I try and like get these chunks together, I find it quite easy to write them. Like, I quite enjoy writing, like particularly if I'm writing something in a kind of like journalistic way or whatever, or like a comment piece or something. I find that quite e- that comes quite naturally to me. But something about this, because it's like my own life and I intimately know every detail of what happened, it's really hard to like work out how much detail I should be including and how much is excessive. And like I kind of, I'm constantly torn between just like I don't know if like half of this is at all interesting in any way it's like so difficult to tell like what the whereas if you were writing fiction you would obviously only be including stuff that you immediately thought was interesting whereas going back through your own life and being like is this interesting enough to include like how important is it is quite a difficult task you have to like really step outside yourself and like you know i could be playing playstation yeah true yeah difficult balance for anyone at the best of times obviously so and that I don't know maybe it's not that difficult for comedians because there is uh, always that kind of that there needs to be that air of confidence anyway in like the story that you're telling Mm. that you're presenting when you're on stage you know doing doing your job as it is um but yeah I guess that would sort of be that like you said like how much do you put in and kind of like you know how sort of I'm struggling to find the word because I've not really communicated with anyone outside of the uh, older <laughs> than the age of four uh, for a couple yeah, of weeks a, now. It's a different vibe, isn't it? <laughs> it is, man. Um, but yeah, where it's kind of... Um, oh, 
I have to say it really in, in a really crappy way, and then I'm sure the word will come back to me. But That's fine. Y- yeah, is it like a, a, a danger that you might feel that you just sort of, I don't, I don't know, blowing smoke almost up your own ass in a way of like, you know, like you said, of is this even interesting or like, you know, how much detail mm. is anyone going to ro- want to read? You know, these sort of my thoughts or my take on it. But then I guess it's you don't want to chop it down too much because it needs to have yeah that air of who you are and your personality coming across as well. It, it's really difficult, isn't it, with that without that kind of immediate feedback? And I think that's something that as a as a stand up comedian, you're you're very used to having. Like I certainly find that I never have this problem in stand up because well, if it's funny, people will laugh at it for the most part anyway, some rooms excluded. Um, but there's that kind of. Uh, yeah, I think that th- there's that element of like on stage, you're going to go out there and like what what is good will become apparent at least after a number of performances. There's that kind of a constant drive to put jokes in something. Kind of the story of what you're telling will how interesting it is will largely be defined by how funny it is. And I feel like I kind of have an instinct for making things funny, whereas like to say whether something is interesting or not is a much more subjective judgment. Um, like my girlfriend's dad could spend hours reading about like carburetors, but you know I couldn't do that. So it's a very difficult. It's a much more like nebulous thing to define. And then yeah, when you don't have that immediate feedback of like approval or not, um, I tend to find that I have a tendency to like misread what is good in what I do and what isn't. Not as much as like some do. I think some people just have no idea. They just have to throw shit at the wall and see what people like. I tend to have some kind of clue, but like recently out of boredom in this uh, kind of pandemic quarantine whatever i've been like doing some of those like short tiktok videos right and i found the ones that have like done like better than others have like surprised me like i've not put anything out that i haven't been like confident in and all of it's done well enough not to be embarrassing but like the ones that have like done better than others i've been like huh interesting i didn't really like that one as much but it's proven much more popular it's normally the way with like yeah like tweets and anything like that as well isn't it it's kind mm. of like yeah the 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 throwaway ones almost of yeah that you oh you know just chuck that out there almost without thinking as, as much about it are the ones that people yeah take to frustratingly rather than the ones that you've no I'm gonna word this exactly right and this <laughs> this is genius the beat of this is perfect you know this w- this is gonna fucking bring down the internet you know this is this is you know I'll, I I will win today's internet challenge and it's like yeah, half an hour later, you're like, I might delete that one. It doesn't really. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, how long do I leave it up with no, how long do I leave this up with no likes? <laughs> sometimes I'll, I'll write a tweet and I'll be like, that's genius. And then I'll even sometimes I'll like send it to like me and the guys from the podcast who are all like extremely online. I'll send it to our DM. And they'll all be like, yeah, that's really funny. And then I'll post it and it'll get like 25 likes. <laughs> Whereas some like stupid joke about balls that I post will get like a thousand. And I'm like, why? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah, fr- frustrating of, of that. And yeah, uh, like you said, with the writing as well, there's, there's like zero feedback, isn't there, until obviously. But then it's the whole thing that's yeah. looked at. I, I guess with, with a book as well, it's rarely, it's going to be the whole feel and the whole theme of it the whole the whole vibe of what you're writing rather than people mm. f- like picking it you're not even going to get the feedback over the individual jokes or bits you might get okay i guess you will get some feedback oh i love that part about this but yeah not to the point of like feedback on the the actual language i guess the feedback is if people if it gets picked up in the first place and then um mm. secondly like the 
yeah do people buy it i guess uh, as well from there so i mean it'd be daft of us not to sort of tell the little bit of the backstory because we just sort of like laid it out there then about your three years and russian comedian and and all the rest of it so first point for me is like was it did you study russian or is this like is that a a you know have you got heritage in your family or russian family members where you've learned it from no i'm one of these really annoying people who i i'm just I, d- I don't know how to explain it really but basically when i when i was at university one of my good mates i studied classics right um which for the uninitiated is like latin greek related things in latin and greek like philosophy literature history that kind of thing um and uh, he was a Russian guy who'd been at boarding school in Britain since he was about 14, and uh, we met at uni. And uh, and at some point in about second year or third year, uh, he took me on this holiday to Russia where we were like hanging out with his old like Moscow friends, whatever. And before that, I kind of taught myself just enough Russian to kind of get by because knowing this guy, I was like as much as he says he's going to translate for me, I know he's going to get like pissed or disappear and I'm going <laughs> to end up in some situation where I'm going to have to fend for myself, which of course happened on a number of occasions. So I was kind of glad of it. Um, but it was probably one of the most like eye-openingly mad experiences I had in my entire life. Cause I think that Russia is this country is kind of uh, intensely like, I don't know, schizophrenic is probably not the right word, but there's something like, a lot of people go on holiday to Russia, and when people go on holiday to Russia, they tend to see it in a very kind of like laboratory conditions kind of way. Like they go on a tour of St. Petersburg or whatever. Yeah. Whereas I feel like the only way to experience Russia really is by knowing Russians. And then suddenly this whole like wonderland of all the most insane and nonsensical shit you've ever seen in your life opens up to you. Um, and so I kind of was going to like sort of living a lifestyle more akin to like what a certain group of people in Moscow do on a weekly basis. And I'm just like, this is completely mad. Like I have to live here. Like I, d- I, I have to like come here and work out what the fuck is going on. Right. Because it just seemed like this kind of permanent state of the last days of Rome, just like every day. Like, oh, yes, it's Tuesday. Let's do cocaine. <laughs> and it's like, what? <laughs> no, that's not a thing people do. Um yeah, and so I, I ended up moving there and kind of improving. I kind of managed to teach myself more Russian before I moved there. Um, and I got this job uh, tutoring, like kind of working as a live-in tutor for this super rich Russian family uh, who were completely mad. Um, so I quit that job. And then I was kind of bumming around doing a bit of freelance tutoring stuff in Moscow, just like hanging out with my mates. And then, um, uh, but I've been doing English stand-up for years before that. And I was kind of treating this as a bit of a gap year before kind of embarking on a comedy career. And so uh, what I was doing was I was keeping up with stand-up by doing every now and again gigs in this little, like, expat bar in English. Right. And these uh, TV producers came in, saw me do a show, and afterwards they came up to me and chatted to me in Russian. They gave me their card and basically, like, invited me to have a go at this, um, you know, kind of TV show that they were making. And it was only after I'd started working on it and got to know them like a few weeks later that I discovered that neither of them spoke any English whatsoever. So, All right. <laughs> yeah, just taking an absolute punt. And that was the basis of my entire career for a while. So, yeah, like a billion questions, obviously, about, yeah, what, what that's normally the way. Yeah, <laughs> what that must have been like. So, um, I mean, mega impressive anyway, that you were able to teach yourself a language and like pick up enough to... I guess converse, but then to 
yeah, to actually then go on TV speaking that language as well and obviously having to make it work for, I mean, it's hard enough bloody doing, understanding the language of TV anyway in this country, isn't it? Mm. When it's like your native tongue. Um, yeah, to be picking it up there as well. So what was the show then? What what sort of format did the show take that you were doing? Um, so the, the first show that I was on was this thing called, uh, well, the literal translation of it would be Open Microphone. And it was basically a bit of a rip-off of Last Comic Standing, that American show, so sort of like kind of like an X Factor for comedians. Like got they you. got various people in, and we were sorted into teams. Um, and I ended up coming second in that. Um, and through that process, I'd managed to kind of like network with a lot of people who worked on that TV station. Right. Um, and a lot of the so the, the the idea was that if you won, you would get a place on Stand Up, which is a t- another TV show that the same channel makes, which is like it's much it's like a live at the Apollo type format. They okay. release seasons and every episode will have like four or five comedians in it. But the difference is that that show has like a cast rather than them just inviting comedians at kind of on a freelance basis. They have sort of a core cast of people who are like paid a salary and then they have like a wider net cast of people who are kind of off and on it but aren't like a contracted part of that team. Got you. Um, And so through that, because a lot of the comedians who were on that show and a lot of the producers who were on that show quite liked me and the stuff that I did in the other show, I got invited to kind of be part of the sort of freelancer cast of that show. Yeah. Um, And so then for the last two years that I was there, I was working on that, basically. Man, that's... What was sort of the reaction to you of being like... Was everyone else on it Russian or were there other kind of people from other places around the world? Um, So... Everyone on it was Russian in the sense of being, like, Russian-speaking and from that part of the world. So, like, there were quite a few, like, Kazakhs and Ukrainians and Belarusians and stuff. But, like, Russians kind of regard those people as Russian because most of them are, like, ethnically Russian people who just live in a nearby country. It's Um, like when English people let Welsh people come on a TV program, I guess. Right, exactly. And yeah. very much to uh, to Russians, uh, everyone in Britain is English. Uh, they don't understand that there's any <laughs> right. there's any divisions there whatsoever. Uh, they refer to Britain as England. Uh, they they have no concept of Britain or of Wales or of any such thing. No, it's just there's England and that's what there is. Um, sorry, sorry to break that to any uh, <laughs> uh, you know budding budding Welsh nationalists or yeah. any audience. Um, but uh, yeah, so. Um, uh, I was the only like proper kind of foreigner foreigner and certainly the only person who like Russian wasn't my native language and that to them was just absolutely mad like I think that um, well Russians particularly in recent years because all the foreigners have just been like leaving as fast as possible they would be fascinated that you were there at all yeah. like the most common question I got from Russians would be like oh like you so you're British and I'm like yeah and they're like and you've moved to Russia and I'm like yeah and they'd be like why <laughs> like like we are all trying to go there yeah <laughs> like, yeah yeah <laughs> like it's like does not compute kind of and so then to have a guy who's like doing comedy in Russian that to them was just kind of mad and so uh, with a lot of people I, I def- that definitely like garnered me a lot of favor that was like a huge kind of draw to my act like I, I developed a fan base quite quickly because of that um but it also put some people off. Like there were some, there were lots of like, particularly men of a certain age who watched the show would get like really angry about me 
Particularly because I'd be making jokes about like dumb shit that I'd seen in Russia. This foreigner who is probably gay (laughs) comes to our country and make (laughs) joke about things being shitty. (laughs) Only I may say that they are shitty, like this kind of thing. Um, There was even a conspiracy theory going around the internet on some like message boards where people would talk about the show that I wasn't really British and that I was like this Russian guy who was pretending to be British, like for clout, basically. And they would do these like mad like david ike style um linguistic analyses of things that i'd said in russian and they were like no oh, yes well the way that he mispronounced this word a british person would not pr- mispronounce it in this way because in britain they oh, say it amazing. like this and it's like yeah yeah insane like red pieces of string all over a cork board kind of vibe <laughs> uh, it's, uh, how how would you go about writing material then for like doing a set in russian um well i think it it really evolved over time because when I started, I like, uh, uh, so when I started doing stand up for TV, I'd probably have been in Russia about six to nine months. And my Russian was good, it was like fluent, but it wasn't like TV fluent. Um, and it was starting to get better because around the same time, I got a Russian girlfriend. And, and so, like, I, I tend to find if you have to argue with someone in Russian, that tends to improve your language pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and the act of doing stand-up in it improved my language a lot because I was having to like write in Russian and perform in Russian a lot, so it kind of like sharpened me up pretty fast. But so initially, it was mostly translating stuff that I already had and just making it make sense. So like taking out things that were sort of that didn't translate or that were cultural references that didn't make sense, and then just kind of I, I took some of the most accessible material I had, and that probably took me through most of the first season of that competition show because um i already had quite a bit of material in english that was about russia anyway that i've been doing on the kind of expat circuit out there so that was quite easy to translate and then after that i really started in earnest like writing in russian because i'd be doing all my gigs in russian and like all of the sort of meetings that i would be going to about the stand-up like with the kind of the people at the station would all be in russian so you kind of it became natural to just like think about it in russian um and so then, conversely, when I actually moved back to Britain, there were some bits that I had to translate back into English that I'd never actually written in English in the first place, which was particularly bizarre. No, it's it, yeah, it, it's just mad to to think about of um yeah, because it's not an e- I don't know, is it an easy language? Then I guess anyone else's take would be that it's like mega complicated and not, you know, it's not on the syllabus, is it? As such, you know, so. <laughs> It's pretty hard. I'd say probably for English speakers, it's probably in the kind of like top five or six hardest. But uh, the flip side of it is that um, for me, it was kind of easy in a way in that whenever I try and learn like easier languages, I just get bored of them much easier. Like I can sort of try and like I uh, I have like schoolboy French. Like I learned French until I was 16 and I can kind of if I'm in France, I can sort of model through, but like not very well. But then whenever I try and like, I'm always like, you know, I used to speak French okay. And if I just like put some effort into it for like a few months, I could actually probably speak fluent French and that'd be cool. But every time I do, I'm just like, this is just so boring. (laughs) Doesn't like interest me. Whereas when I was getting into Russian, I was like, this language is like completely mad. There's like so much of it is like so completely foreign. And so the entire way that they think and the way that they structure sentences is so different. And like the mechanics of the language are so uh, like entirely otherwise to English that that really kind of held my attention. So it was sort of harder, but in a way that was what enabled me to learn it because otherwise I think I would have just gotten bored of it too quickly and then never really like bothered to kind of 
properly learn it if that makes sense yeah it, it does and sorry i'm jumping around like mad with my questions as well when stuff is uh sort of popping up in my head so sorry about that that's uh, all right it's a fairly <laughs> peculiar subject matter <laughs> going back to like the material then uh, again i guess the stereotype of russians well would be you know from a british perspective would be would maybe that they don't have much of a sense of humor anyway about stuff you know i guess we'd mm. you know maybe we look at them in a similar way to we might look at like a german sense of humor you know that they're too they're, they're too programmed almost you know they're too sort of rigid and formal in their ways of um what they yeah what they might go with and what they might find funny yeah that's interesting so i've heard that a lot about russians from westerners and it's a, it's a very interesting one because I, and i think it does kind of stem from i think sort of impressions that we have of germans that we've for some reason kind of transmuted onto the russians um but i think uh, the russians are very um well, I mean, uh, the Russians as a people are so are so neurotic. I could talk to you about it for about three hours. But right. um, the <laughs> when it comes to humor, I would say that the Russian sense of humor is quite similar in a lot of ways to a British sense of humor in that it can often be quite dry um, and quite dark. Like okay. it's very, um, they really love a bit of gallows humor. Like it's yeah, very, I um, picture that. which I yeah. think mm, sort of reflects the kind of lives that they lead. Um and so it's certainly, in some ways, I would say it's much more similar to a British sense of humour than, say, an American sense of humour. Um, like, it has that kind of, like, darkness and dryness to it that, like, American humour usually doesn't. Yeah, but it's sort of maybe more self-derogatory then rather than, like, backslapping of how great they are as such. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, um, they are, but then their actual comedy itself as an industry is so much less developed that often you're watching stuff on Russian TV and you're like, oh, oh, this is like, it feels like something that would have been on TV in Britain in like the early 70s in terms of like, you know, kind of, there's a lot of like Morecambe and Wise type shit on Russian TV. Yeah, I like think kind of like, uh, yeah, when I've been on holiday in like Eastern European hotels and, you know, s whatever, you know, traveling when I did my years of traveling and just mm. flicking through the channels and that kind of thing, you know, on the TV in your room and you pick up some local stations and it's like, yeah, proper end of the pier cabaret type, like all ooh Betty and you know all that sort of thing. <laughs> and, and, and again, that sort of like I don't know the little snippets that I've heard about it have been kind of yeah, that's mm. sort of like a lot of the British humour that they like would be like oh oh you're a British comedian yeah. like you you know wh who are you you know are you like Morecambe and Wise or or well, they love Spencer Benny Hill. Benny, there you go. Yeah, that's what I was looking for. Benny Hill. I absolutely adore stuff. Benny yeah. Hill. One time I was, um, I used to live at, at this uh, station in Moscow called Smolenskaya. And one time it has a really long escalator, like one of the longest underground escalators I've ever been on. And so it would take, if you were stood on it, it would take about four minutes to get from the bottom to the top. If you like weren't walking up it, it was mad. And um, one day I was like, I was a bit tired. So I was just standing there. And they were quite often pipe music into the metro, particularly on the escalators. Um, and it would usually be like old Russian composer type stuff, you know. And then one day, I'm like kind of, I had my headphones on, but I like started vaguely tuning into this music that was being played on there. And I'm like, I'm sure that's the fucking Benny Hill theme tune. But I'm like, it can't be. And then I take my headphones off and, and true to form, it's <laughs> 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 like, what the fuck? 
<laughs> There's just all these old women in headscarves get slowly going up this escalator to the Benny Hill theme tune. Oh, nice. Um, With you just I mean, It's what he would have wanted. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But what's uh, you mentioned about gigging, like you were doing gigs out there as well then, and the mm. sort of the the circuit not being very well, like very developed, I think was your wording of it. Um, yeah. What's that in terms of the number of gigs or how shows are run or all of that and some more and some more areas as well? Oh, God. Yeah. I mean, it was it was so mad. Well, I mean, so I think initially there probably weren't that many gigs um, when I first started doing Russian stand up. It was a bit new. But I mean, the TV show had been on for like a few years at that point. And then I, while I was there, it exploded massively. And by the time I left, I mean, there were like, you could do like three gigs a night in Russian if you wanted to. T- take credit um, for that, mate. That, I'm sure yeah, that was exactly. your Yeah, exactly. It was all me. Yeah. It was all me, mate. Um, but uh, the conversely, weirdly, the, the English scene really imploded on itself. And there's like much less English comedy while in Moscow while now you're than there used to oh be. Oh, right. Well, I th- while you were away, I thought you were talking about the, the British scene back home. So. <laughs> Took oh, a no, dive no. while you were over there, yeah. Very <laughs> <laughs> Without me, Kev, it just can't, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that in terms of the way... I mean, well, th- in some way, I mean, obviously, it's fundamentally more similar than it is different. It's still comedians doing gigs, and you see a lot of the same things. But there was definitely a lot less literacy about best practice, I think, particularly when you were, like, travelling in, like, the... Re- like, I don't know... There was, I mean, it's been a long time since I've done an open mic in Russia, but we would sometimes go to, this was what was so weird about it because it was so new. Like you would get TV comedians would go and do spots at open mics just because they needed stage time to test material. They'd be under such pressure to produce material and there were so few gigs at that time. Right. That you would get like shitty open mics where like some of the most famous comedians in Russia are there. Uh, Really surreal. And there was like, you would get certain ways of doing an open mic that you would never get in Britain. Like they used to do... um, there's one guy, Ruslan Mukhtarov, who's like completely mad. Uh, this guy with like, uh, he, he has this absurd mustache and like a million children. And his whole, he has this like weird, like clownish, it's very peculiar. But anyway, he used to run this um, open mic where there would be like 35 acts doing three minutes each. Right, okay. Um, and it was hellish. But what was bizarre was that uh, he, it would be sold out. Like people would pay for tickets to go. And they would be like dressed up because like for Russians, it's like we're going to the theatre. And it's like, no, you're going to a fucking open mic. But yeah, they'd be yeah. there like dressed up, like sat around tables, you know, like they're watching a fucking Stuart Lee special or whatever. <laughs> um, and because they'd paid money to get in and they were dressed up and whatever, they would sit there and chuckle along through just like three and a half hours of like dog shit open mic comedy with like the odd pro just like sprinkled in, but only doing three minutes. Um, and it was so because like normally by the end of an open mic anywhere in the world you'd see an audience who were just like absolutely harrowed to their core by yeah, what they'd seen right. yeah, but the russians because it was such a novelty to them would be sitting there like okay who's next <laughs> yeah very is, oh there's only only 20 more to go what a shame oh yeah exactly <laughs> but when we used to travel like touring then you really used to see just like bizarre shit I, the example i always use is we went to this there's this town chelyabinsk which is in the urals and it's it's notoriously it's like i don't know what would be a good it's like the swindon of russia it's like a place where if you ask people in russia to name a shit place they'll probably say chelyabinsk um and it gets a bad rap because i've been to like way worse places in russia than chelyabinsk but uh we were there and uh 
they had this show for us and like they're paying us a lot of money to do it it's like a, they've got famous people on the bill and it's like you know kind of a seriously organized thing but it's in this like huge like restaurant that's like brightly lit and echoey and then they sort of brought us on and then after us immediately this like old woman comes out and starts singing these like old soviet ballads type songs and then these two women in like leopard print like leotards come on and start like stripping <laughs> and doing like pole dancing as this old woman is singing these like v- like the Russian equivalent of like fucking Vera Lynn. Right. Like, Ooh, meet again. <laughs> and this is like this sex dance going on on either side. Very <laughs> odd. Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the moment in the UK, we would fucking kill for any form of entertainment. Anything. <laughs> Right, we're laughing about this, and that's um, whatever. The old woman singing and stripping. Who cares? Oh, mate, you could start one of those nights now, and um, you, you know, if we were told lockdown ends tomorrow, and that was that gig was on, you, you'd be selling out. I mean, hopefully, that's what we're going to see in the UK circuit now. You know, is a bit more possibly, bit more, yeah. yeah, a bit more diversity, but bit of that. What were the other comics like on the circuit that you were meeting then? Was it sort of very? The only difference was the language they were speaking, and it it could have been like, you know, green rooms in the UK and open mics as they are in the UK as well. Mm, I mean, to to an extent. I mean, I think that um, a lot of the dynamics were the same, like it's in the ways that it would work and stuff like that. Uh, what I would say, it, it's hard to make a cross comparison because I think one of the real issues with comedy in Britain is that it's become too popular. Like, I definitely, right. like, I was, uh, probably won't make myself too popular by saying this, but I definitely, I go to a lot of gigs, and uh, if there are, like, kind of, like, open mic type people on the gigs, I sort of think, like, sometimes you watch their act and you're like, you don't want to do comedy. You're just lonely. <laughs> like, you just want to have friends. <laughs> like, yeah. that's all this is about. <laughs> This like is just getting they never make any serious hours, effort. This is your hours exercise. This is what you're doing now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like they'd kind of do the same act every time. No one laughs, but they just hang out with a bunch of people who do the same thing. And that's kind of seems to be what it's about for them. And so in Russia, you didn't really, you didn't really have that yet because it wasn't popular enough. And so like the, mostly the people who did it were like of a more well i don't know i wouldn't necessarily say have a higher standard because i really don't think that's true but like there was less of a there were less people of a very low standard you could say that right um uh but there were a lot of people who were like really like mediocre um like and there was a lot of people who were doing material that like i don't know as a western comedian you would consider extremely passe like a lot of like mother-in-law stuff a lot of like oh you'll never guess what the wife said to me like that that kind there was like very like sort of 1970s club comedy kind of vibe got you um was there, I, I it, there's is, there like um like noticeable like backgrounds that people were coming from because it you know it's quite diverse isn't it in like you know uk clubs of you know class for want of a better word you know that that people come from Mm. Was it kind of you know you you needed to be from a bit of a privileged background to to fund it, or were people just like they are here? You know, if if it's your love and what you want to do, then then fuck eating food uh, or having a real life, like most mm. comedians sacrifice at one point or another, um, yeah. you know, to like chase it down. No, not really. Um, and particularly because in in that respect, the Russian scene is much better because it's much more possible to just get paid a living wage by it quite early on if you're right. any good. Um, and living in Russia is cheap. Like, I mean, I think I 
pretty much completely stopped tutoring within like a couple of months of starting doing Russian stand up there because like you know it was easy to do a few gigs a week in Russian that would pay you you know like kind of 70 quid each or something and then you could go and do out of town gigs that might pay you like four five seven hundred quid um you know if you're doing like having to fly somewhere or whatever and they'd pay all of your travel and stuff right and i mean you know your rent would be like 300 quid a month so it was like it was really easy to like make enough money to just kind of sail through um and so a lot of people used to use it to like supplement their income as well if they had a normal job um, but it wasn't like here where kind of people are like struggling to kind of finance doing stand-up um, yeah, it was very much it tended to pay for most people well that's the thing even in the in, in the uk there's there's loads of gigs isn't there but not many of them are that well paid and mm. there's also an infinite number of stand-ups as well that are fighting you know god if you you know if you mm. you might not pay your rent if you walk away from the forums for five minutes basically because you weren't the first to reply to someone yeah, posting yeah, yeah. about a gig you know it's that that constant scrapping going on isn't it and um yeah that yeah the breakthrough is difficult here and i, I probably said something that almost i don't believe is quite true myself because a, a lot of people would argue about the 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 circuit not being that open to all different classes in the uk not when you get to the sort yeah. of like the upper echelons of the the mega rich and the tv comics and and that mm. kind of thing they're mm. all fairly well spoken and educated aren't they there's not too many that stand out as kind of you know sort of a, of, of dragging themselves up there at this moment in time anyway um, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's it's uh, no. It's, have you have you been tempted to try this experiment anywhere else? Not to really. Like head no, head out to well, not at the not for the foreseeable future because you know we're not allowed to go anywhere anymore. Can't go we? anywhere. No. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about Wuhan actually, mate. Yeah. That was my next. <laughs> That is there's probably the safest place on planet Earth right it, now. It probably Wuhan, is, probably. yeah. And th yeah. there's probably quite a few s spots have become available as well uh, over the last couple of months. So. Yeah, I bet. Just brush up a bit on my Mandarin, I'll be away. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, just, just the thought of having to learn another language to that level. I mean, I think that, you know, I still discover things I don't know in Russian every single day. Like, I mean, a mate of mine um, who's a bit... He, he's, quite, he's quite a nerdy guy. He's very, he's very sort of academic. He it was my birthday recently and he bought me this book for my birthday which is like one of his favorite books and it's a, it was originally a russian book but he's read it in translation he was like oh i think it'd be really cool because you could actually read it in russian so he's given me this book in russian um it's this book called life and fate and it's like one of these like really long russian novels about the second world war um and it's quite interesting but like my god is it dense it's probably like you know 800 pages of like you know descriptions of like stalingrad and concentration camps and this that and the other and i'm like reading you know a bit before bed every night and sort of like getting through it i'm like god fucking hell. i'm just sometimes i just like give up on a sentence i'm like no nah, i'm not <laughs> <laughs> not plowing on with that one um, <laughs> what were you going to be doing i take it you were going to go to edinburgh this year i was yeah so do, I'd do you know what you were going to be doing yeah, so I, I have this, I know I, I complain about this sometimes and I think people find it quite annoying, but I, my, the way that it tends to go with me writing shows is I tend to kind of know what the show is going to be quite early on and I tend to discover that like by about kind of January, February, I've already got over an hour of material. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's over an hour of good show, but there's like, 
I'm in the position of having to like frantically cut and try and make it make sense rather than being in the position of like having to like frantically write another 25 minutes. Yeah, that, um, that is which annoying. I think you is, were right. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, <laughs> But it's it's kind of a much more um, it's a much more like uh, psychologically difficult situation because you're suddenly in that in that position of being like I don't know I don't know what to cut I don't know when there's like when there's too much of something it's hard to see like the wood for the trees and really like work out what the what the core of it is um, and so I was wor- until until the sort of lockdown happened I was kind of working with my director on that but it was going to be a show called Adult and it was going to be about um, basically sort of uh, like a- adulthood and m- maturity and the the way that we conceive of being grown up uh, as part of talking about this year I had from like 20 2018 to 2019 which was incredibly sort of tumultuous in my like personal and professional life and I think that I grew up a lot in that period um, aside from in other times of my life where I hope I've grown up somewhat um, and I'd, I've gotten like really interested in these ideas of like how I've had to like um Phil, I, I guess in the last sort of six months, like quote unquote adult roles that I've never had to fill before. Um, like I've taken on definitely like different roles with like my mum. Like I feel like there's a kind of we've almost like switched places in a kind of like adulthood hierarchy. It's very odd. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you're just kind of it, biographical then, really, all all the way through then, isn't it? With a a lot of the stuff that you you do of um is that what your club set's normally like as well you're very much a are you a storyteller kind of you know based on true life well i think i've i've fallen into that to an extent by the dynamic of writing shows because i i really like edinburgh and what i really like about it is that people write shows rather than just doing like oh here's 55 minutes of good stand-up um which i can enjoy and like there are some people who like do that very well like i mean i'm i'm good mates with like pierre novelli i think that he is someone who like does 55 minutes of very good stand up very well um but i'm still left like slightly more satisfied by like if you go and see like someone like ahir shah's shows that yeah, kind yeah. of sense of like that is like a complete and cohesive whole that has come together as like an hour long experience yeah, yeah you get the arc and the everything mm. don't you yeah in, involved in it and yeah you're right i'm a yeah, and and I think it's very different, isn't it? And I think kind of that's what the expectation is at at, at festivals and our performances as well is is at at the least a theme anyway, isn't it? But then that's what people mm. then tend to take out on tour, isn't it? You rarely get yeah, you don't seem to get that many tours of just pure hours of stand up as well anymore, do you? They've all got a title. They'll they'll run to a theme, mm. and and normally, obviously, what people are doing is they're they're touring there edinburgh show or whatever festival you know they've they've been sort of uh focusing on that year is is tends to then be what they they get out and do um now obviously yeah. it's a difficult question because we don't know how long the current situation's going to be going on for so in a normal sort of a, a bc podcast um it would mm-hmm. have a little chat about what you've got coming up and that kind of thing but i guess it's more you're just living day to day like I am <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> like the, you know, the biggest excitement is what's what's for dinner tomorrow night. You know, that's kind of yeah, where yeah. Our, our lives have got. And it's amazing how quickly we've got to that as well in like a fortnight. You know, it is like, you know, mm. we, we are that stereotypical Russian peasant family now, you know, where the, 
that the most the next thing that we've got to look forward to is the the next meal yeah. that we'll be having you know we're just literally sleeping and you're all owned eating. by a mysterious duke who trades you to his friends over games of cards oh, uh, it might it might as well be it might as well be that at the moment mate and it's uh you know, I'm, that's why I'm just glad I've got the podcast and the other creative stuff that I do as well. You know, because because it's kind of like without that output, it's um, yeah, it yeah, it, it's weird. Well, exactly. It must be weird for you guys on the circuit of kind of being like a normal person again to some degree for a bit. Mm. Well, there's a yeah. I think it is very interesting. I mean, like it, in a lot of ways, I absolutely hate the circuit. Yeah, and I kind of. I, I resent having to do it a lot of the time because I feel like I what I would rather do is do like the Edinburgh Fringe like several months of the year yeah. and then do like the gigs where I work on my material and like not really do clubs at all because whenever I do clubs I always feel like you're not here for me like I there are some clubs where there's like exceptions to that like I always go down well at like you know kind of Comedia or The Stand or somewhere like that where it's a bit more of like a kind of you get a what I would call like a comedy savvy audience yeah but exactly. like a lot of yeah yeah a lot of gigs that I do and I'm probably going to sound arrogant here but I, like, I don't I have no desire to be like a court jester for stag nights um, yeah yeah and some and that is a skill like don't get me wrong some comedians are like really good at that and it's not a skill that i am good at like that's not my and in some respects i found it a bit easier in russia because i the kind of stuff that i do is a bit like i don't know if you'd call it like academic but it's like it's kind of like arid, like i will like talk about issues and things like i'll like take a concept and explore it in quite a like in complex way but in a way that i feel is quite accessible but I think that because I come over like I sound educated and like of a certain social class, which are impressions which aren't always entirely correct. But um, that whereas in Russia that never came across negatively because right. their stereotypes are so opposite because they had the Soviet Union where like education was so highly valued and had absolutely no class aspect whatsoever because it was a sort of communist country. They don't really have that kind of class ridden society. I mean, they very much have rich and poor. Um, much to a greater extent than we do but like they don't have that kind of like where you hear someone's accent and like immediately make a judgment about them or like that kind of negative attitude towards like learning something whereas I feel in a lot of rooms like even though there are like sometimes there are people in the room who like wouldn't would enjoy it or like could could get something out of it they're kind of turned off by superficial aspects of the way I come across, which is maybe something I need to work on, but I, you know, <laughs> hard to change your entire personality. <laughs> but th no, you're right. Cause there's, there's a, whatever level you're at in the, the UK, you know, going, going out and, you know, as you have to, I guess, you know, to get the stage time and whether it's to use that to work on a show or trying to get to a level where you can pay the bills or, you know, whatever the motivation is behind it of, it's mm. it whatever level you're at so when you're new you're three minutes or five minutes on stage i don't know mm. sometimes contradict myself again sometimes that is too it, that is long enough <laughs> for some people oh, sometimes too yeah. long for and a lot of people yeah and 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 for you know I, I include myself in that from when i you know early days of performing and stuff like that as well you know of it being mm. yeah sometimes five minutes was 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 too long but generally <laughs> generally speaking your five minutes isn't quite long enough is it or and then you'll get to the next level of your you're the 
the 10, 15 minute act. And that's almost not yeah. quite, it's never quite long enough to fully explore. As we know, the great thing about stand up and, and probably why we, we touched on it before, but that instant feedback, you know, is, is amazing for the, for the harshness of it when it, the instant feedback yeah. is shite, but also for mm. the absolute, like almost indescribable, you know, exhilaration that you get from when it works and when that instant feedback kind of rein yeah. reinforces your own ego and everything you know and kind of like in that one moment so yeah exactly it, it's almost like whatever set length you've got for whatever stage you're at is never quite long enough to fully explore and that's why like edinburgh mm. fringes and all the other festivals around are, are so important that that's the great thing that you get with then doing your festival show is you get an hour and you you, you, you can have those dips can't you you can have mm. 10 minutes of lull dotted around between it you know because you've like we said here shah you know you're taking people on a journey and you know where you're going to get to at the end mm. and you can work on the payoff and know that you know generally speaking people buy into that a lot more don't they as well and yeah. by the yeah by, by by the end of an hour with a, a comic you you definitely know a lot about their abilities yeah. and, <laughs> and everything out whether you like that particular show or not mm. but but yeah gigging and you know, as we'll, we'll have all done at, at one stage or another, you know, driving bloody 200 miles in one direction and then 200 miles back, you know, to do your, mm. your five or 10 minutes on stage and oh, it's dreadful. your next I one's mean, not, not booked in for two or three days or whatever it might be. And it's like two or three it, days. Like how long is that going to take to build <laughs> any kind oh. of momentum or work on it? No, I think it's it's a nonsense, really. I I like I like the way that the comedy industry in the UK is run now. It's just like a kind of. I mean, I, I'm a very left wing person, and like I just look at the comedy industry and just see it as another example of like disaster capitalism. Um, and you meet all these like kind of right wing comedians who came up in like the '90s, like you know, like fucking Lee Hurst or whoever, yeah. who are convinced that they're like fucking geniuses because they've made all this money at comedy, and it's like. No, you were doing comedy in 1995 when, like, any fucking idiot could make, like, a grand a week doing because there weren't any fucking comedians. When it was, like, the Russian circuit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it, and it, uh, it just drives me mad. But yeah, going back to what you were saying earlier, like, that's why I love doing hours because you can, like, kind of have an experience with an audience and you can sort of build them up to a point of understanding who you are as an act. Like, I definitely have bits that, like, they only really work in the middle of an hour because I need the audience to like have that level of trust in me as an act. Like I had a bit in the middle of my show in Edinburgh last year where it was like a six minute deconstruction of like why I think that 9-11 is like one of the most incredible things that's ever happened. But like if I do it in a five, it doesn't work. And if I do it in the middle yeah, of a well 10, <laughs> I sometimes get away with it. Yeah, everyone yeah. treats you as the biggest bastard in the world when you're like, yeah. thank you very but much. In the middle Goodbye. of the hour. He's clearly serious. He clearly thinks that it was. <laughs> he must think it was the best thing in the world because that's all he talks about. Yeah. Well, yeah, but in the middle of the hour, it would crush because what you need is there's this like 45 second bit at the start where you're explaining the premise. And that's when people are going like, oh, oh, don't like the sound of this. And then but you need them to bear with you until you get to the first kind of payoff. And then it's usually OK. And you can kind of like grind them down into the bit. But like 
in like in 10 minutes it's so hard to build that trust in you as an act whereas in an hour you kind of like they've gotten to the point where well, we've already sat through 35 minutes of this we're just going to go with it like he seems to know what he's doing yeah yeah um, yeah it's that trust element isn't it and um mm. yeah you, they'll they'll go with you on stuff yeah good luck trying your getting your 45 seconds of sympathy at like the gong show at the store or something like that mm. of i will run with this absurd idea and uh yeah i'm sure yeah <laughs> and yeah, yeah exactly and conversely recently like for kind of industry stuff i've had to do quite a few fives and i just hate it and then every time that you go and you're like oh yeah i don't really like doing fives and they're like oh well you should be able to do a five and it's like well of course i can fucking do one but like I don't, it's, like, it's for open micers. I don't like doing it. Like, it's kind of like, it's boring. Like, yeah, I have five minute bits, but like, they don't, they don't work as well on their own as they would in like a longer, like what, like, and they're kind of, there's this weird fetishization of a five in the industry as being like this benchmark of you being a good comedian when it's yeah. like, well, it works for some people, but like, if you, if you're a kind of comedian who explores ideas, then like, well, no, you're never going to be good at doing fives because it's not like, not what you do. I, I guess what one of the the sort of the benefits of, I mean, not the current situation. I, I mean, like the by saying the times that we live in at the moment is, it, at least there are there those other avenues now for, like exploration of the creativity. You know, to like mm. test material out, whether it's, you know, online or putting stuff out there. You know, at least you can play with the medium and the content and. I guess your voice as much as anything because that's the thing that that takes a while to get to sometimes isn't it is kind of working yeah. out it, not so much the audience working out who you are but you know it can take fucking years to work out who mm. you actually are yourself on stage you know it's um yeah the number of times i'd almost switch from gig to gig you know almost between not i don't mean the voice as in you know mm vocally in terms of the you know i wasn't like putting on different accents at different gigs or pretending to be from different places <laughs> i'll see which one of these Back works when i was you know. kevrook chinese comedian <laughs> yeah it didn't uh, go down so well i don't know you know no. dropped that off quite quickly but you you know yeah. you would you you sort of like play around with stuff like that but then again it's uh, it, it, it's just harsh isn't it because it's like mm. you're never quite getting long enough to play with that but then as we've said there's for some people, it, it's it's too long as well. It's just so difficult mm. to like strike the balance. I, I do like my involvement in comedy now is like podcasts and putting stupid stuff on, out online myself, mm. and then doing like a bit of promoting and, and that kind of thing. And I'm always wanting to. I'd love to come up with the format, which is like the perfect bedding ground for newer comics of where mm. it's good for them, but still good for the audience as well but it's uh, it's yeah. i haven't quite found you know the the magic key well, yet you know that gets me exactly through to that because it's always just a bit hit and miss but yeah you you need that sort of warm friendly environment but then it's only mm. one gig you know you can't have the same guys yeah. on seven nights a week you know to give them the time yeah well picking up what you said that i mean i think that's it's quite interesting in that i think that what a lot of um what you were saying about kind of changing your act almost week to week based on almost doing everything in a different voice i think it's like a really common tendency when people start out because when you start out you're so relieved to have come up with something that's even vaguely funny that you don't have the luxury of being like well is is this the sort of thing that's like really me or is this just something that i've kind of luckily discovered is a bit funny so i'll do that and so you people kind of are prone to these hodgepodge approaches and i think that's one of a number of 
bear traps that like a lot of new comedians fall into and it's definitely one that I fell into myself um and what I've realized is I think what a lot of younger comedians need is a lot more like direct intervention from people who do know what they're doing like I was lucky in that um I started out at Cambridge and like there's a big comedy tradition there and there was like a lot of like downward pressure from like older guys in the footlights of being like no that's not good enough or like that kind of and even then a lot of us were still doing stuff that was like hopelessly fucking like you know esoteric and whatever and would never have worked in London but it did force us to kind of like you know we we had some sort of proper critique Um, and then one of the things I've really taken with me from Russia is that for TV they would edit us so aggressively like we would have to have meetings with these editors like two or three times a week where they would go through videos of what we'd done at gigs and they would be like that isn't funny that's good but you haven't finished writing it and that was one of the things which I initially didn't understand but now it's like one of the biggest things that irritates me that other comedians do is I'll sometimes see like a comedian just throw away a premise like they'll they'll come up with a funny premise and then it'll get a laugh and then they'll just move on to something else and then I'll have the fucking Yegor the the editor from TNT (laughs) television in my ear going like you haven't finished writing this joke and it was so true. You'd have like a 30 second joke that kind of worked. And then he'd go, you've not finished writing it. And eventually he'd keep saying this and you'd end up with like a seven minute joke that didn't really work at all. But then eventually you'd cut it back down to like a two and a half minute joke that d- did. And it kind of explored the topic in a more fulsome way. And now I would say I pretty much never write like less than like a five minute bit about anything. Like it does, it's just anathema to me. Like if I have a, if I have a, if I have a sort of premise that's worth exploring and I can't get more than like 30 seconds or a minute out of it, I just won't use it. It's just not interesting to me. Like, unless I can like really like, okay, here's a topic, let's take it and break it down and find out what I'm interested in about it. Like I, that's kind of what I do. And then when I see people just like doing throwaway premises, it's like one of my biggest bugbears. And in, in that regard, I think in a sort of early stage of my career, I had a huge advantage with just like these kind of angry Russians breathing down my neck about whether anything I wrote was really good enough and like forcing me to think about these things. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, c- circumstance, isn't it? So often for whoever, you know, and experience, I guess, is, is tend it's the key, isn't it? And a lot of that is sort of mm. the luck of it or falling into situations or, what it might be if you've got the right peer group you know you don't have to go to Russia to find it but there's no coincidence is there that a lot of the time you find a group of comedians who you might describe as having made it you know in terms of yeah being successful if we if you count being well known or you know at least having well attended gigs you know being able to go and play Mm. venues and people will go there to see them I guess would be my mark of have you made it or not will people do people come and see you that, that's sort of the dream isn't it that <laughs> like we mentioned about the yeah. circuit before you know if it's if it's your name on the poster that, that has got people out that night then yeah you're probably doing mm. you're probably doing quite well for yourself but they people tend will to come and see me but i don't find it i don't feel myself very successful <laughs> most of the time <laughs> but they tend to come in little groups of mates almost don't they? they've come from like same peer groups or oh yeah we like you like the footlights thing you know of uh mm. you know you there'll be uh again words are failing me but you, you you know kind of almost years that then a little group came from and you discover afterwards oh they were all there together mm. or oh those guys all studied at the same university and they used to run nights yeah. together and it's i think that is like a big 
a big secret to doing well yeah. is like you said having that critique in and, and wherever you come from whatever your background is if if you're out there on the open mic circuit and you can team up with two or three four similar minded people who yeah. are honest with each other and you sort of spot within each other a little bit of talent as well that can be mm. like a godsend rather than just you, can, you know out there on your own sort of you know the hard slog with it no you, yeah you do get people that come from that sort of background i guess but yeah if you can no i agree if you can find and your I little family or the right club sometimes like you mentioned the stand yeah um so many people come through the the stand in edinburgh don't they you know and have sort of mm. that that's a great yeah club i mean cause, it's such cause a they nice put, club to play oh and they put their arm around acts as well you know so they'll spot someone who's a bit talented and you sort of there's a, a mm. family atmosphere up there as well of they'll help people out won't they and give them that stage time and give them the time to develop what they're doing as well um or or you can just move to russia i guess is the the other option and, and that is and do it's, it always, that it's always an option that's available to you i mean obviously <laughs> not right now but in general one could move to russia yeah uh, yeah no, i know i think about that a lot and i think that i've kind of i've become more i think originally my my aims in comedy were were more uh i guess kind of dogmatically fixed in traditional measures of what you might see as uh success you know like being on tv or whatever um and that that stuff would be nice but I'd, i had an interesting conversation with um uh, olga cox the other day she's a good friend of mine and she and we were talking about being on tv and she said well why do you want to be on tv you hate tv and no one you know watches tv you only want to be on tv to like tick a box and i'm like yeah in a way that's true like there's that element of like you know kind of i'm lucky in that like my podcast is popular and like i have an audience and if i want to do a preview or something i can fill a room which is nice um and those people will be there to see me and in that respect like i think building my own audience on the internet has been like an immensely sort of liberating thing because you can kind of have an audience that's actually into what you do rather than trying to conform to some other thing and it's amazing to be able to turn around to like promoters and just be like i don't give a fuck if you want to book me or not i'll just do i'll just rent out a room above a pub in your town yeah. and people will come yeah. like that's that's cool because like, i hated all those guys anyway so it's like an amazing <laughs> an amazing feeling to be able to turn it around on you know some prick in derby and be like you know what mate i don't need you actually <laughs> I, I i know him yeah <laughs> yeah i'll for him yeah <laughs> yeah some prick comedy um, check it out if you're in derby yeah um, <laughs> um uh, it's fascinating isn't isn't it and we're getting on to like um yeah er areas which yeah i i do always enjoy exploring it and it's difficult because i and i've mentioned it like 20 times i end up contradicting myself a hundred times as well because it's the sort of you know the themes around comedy and the motivation of it and what you're trying to achieve i yeah i i say oh yeah it's because of this isn't it and then at the same time i'm having an internal dialogue of like hmm. oh well no it's not actually really like that it I, it's it's just so personal isn't it and uh, i guess it's that thing of I d i'll probably change my mind on this as well but it's hmm. it's that connection isn't it it's that it comes back to that raw thing of you connect with the audience in that given moment in that live situation and they reinforce that that thing that you were working on in your bedroom or wherever it was that you you know you come up with your ideas and you know pace mm. up and down you know working out the rhythm of, of it and 
yeah, re rewriting the punchlines and that kind of thing of that ultimately is what people do it for and get from it. It just so happens that if you're very good at doing that and that happens more often than not, that you're probably mm. going to rise through the ranks and and then probably your ambitions and your goals and your motivations for for doing it then will naturally change as well, won't it? Be like being a you know, being at school and being really good at football and you're saying, Oh I'd mm. yeah, I'd love to get paid to play football. Well as soon as you I'd imagine you start getting paid to play football, then you go, Oh, I wanna get paid more or I wanna go to <laughs> a bigger mm. club or I wanna or you know, you always get footballers moving to because they want to win. I believe you just know. want to play a managed Mansfield Town. Yeah, it's always been my dream. Yeah, but you know, you'd get there and then you'd be saying, "Well, I've done quite well here. I could, mm. you know, th there's bigger yeah. challenges and goals out there." But what about uh, Stevenage, exactly, mate. Is that are they yeah. above? Are they bigger than Mansfield? I have no idea. No. I know nothing about football. To be honest. <laughs> I was um, really impressed there. Uh, for yeah, not that I haven't I been. I have a great. Cup. I have a great head for absolutely useless bits of just like ephemera. So like, yeah, I can name a lot of like niche lower league football clubs just because that's exactly the sort of Wikipedia D shit well, I would no, remember. No, just because they're all the places you go and do gigs. Uh, well, that also, you just say yeah, the yeah. town name, don't you? You just go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doing, doing a charity benefit for bowel cancer at Mansfield Town Football Club's hospitality suite. Yeah. Um, the, the difficult yeah. bit is getting the right the what would the word be of the the next bit so you could say mansfield it's you you you'll get caught out if you say mansfield united obviously you need to know that it's mansfield yeah, yeah. town um that's very true yeah that's the, the um, only thing on it but yeah no i, I think it's like those ambitions are I, I think it's good it's always good as a comic i think it's just something that I, I fell into that trap a lot of like just assessing like why you actually want certain things and whether those things are conducive with kind of the stuff that you're doing and i think over time what's happened to me is i've become much more confident in like what i want to do and there's a kind of element of like well there are certain things in comedy that like i would quite like but also they're kind of things which if i want to do them i'd have to kind of do something quite different and that's not something i'm prepared to do with my act like i'm kind of having that sort of confidence in yourself and what you want to do i think is quite an important thing to develop because i i, I think increasingly it's going to get to a point where everyone is going to have to build their own audience beyond the odd person who for whatever lucky reason uh, such as you know the children of well-known politicians get plucked from obscurity to you yeah. know do shit open mic comedy for an hour to a stadium for some reason like most people, you're going to have to build your own audience and like prove yourself before you're going to get offered any of this stuff anyway. So it's worth like thinking about, you know, what you're what you're about and focusing on that. And I like try and I try and not really think about the industry as much as possible. Although, of course, if someone came and offered me a fucking slot on BBC Two, I would definitely take it. I wouldn't <laughs> be above it. Um, yeah, it's uh, all of our um, artistic morals are. Can be bought, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I don't and watch Mock the Week, but I would go on it in a heartbeat. Yeah, ex yeah. Any anyone who hears me slagging off different things and parts of media and the industry, um, I would gladly allow you to pay me for a full time mm. job. You know, one hundred percent. But only because then I, you know, I can change it from the inside. Obviously, that would be, you know, I would still go yeah, there yeah. with undercover. With, with, yeah, with pure morals. Um, no, I've I've really enjoyed that. Thanks, Milo. And it's been great to actually not talk. No pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Loads of about viruses and 
the impending <laughs> end of the world and all that kind of thing, which is, as I said, the, mm. the and I'm sure people that, um, believe it or not, people that do regularly listen to this, and thank you for that, um, yeah, a, a nice break uh, for them as well from the, <laughs> uh, the, yeah. the general doom and the, the very much Russian humour that we've been having to have over the last few episodes mm. of, uh, yeah, finding the funny in uh, dark despair and that kind of thing but um no it's uh no it's good to hear man and it's um i look forward to when you're out there gigging again and uh we can come and see you yeah, live f- and fingers crossed if if live comedy ever resumes again um you know come see me what what's the podcast that you mentioned earlier so that we can find you on those mate oh yeah yeah so uh you can check me out on twitter i'm milo underscore edwards and uh yeah the podcast is called trash future it's kind of it's a comedy podcast but it's like it's quite it's quite like a it's a politics podcast and it's quite left-wing so if you're if you're into that um and uh yeah i've recently i've recently started a tiktok (laughs) (laughs) it's it's fairly dumb i've been really enjoying that bag i've heard on the uh on the grapevine yeah 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 exactly <laughs> it's it's fun in the respect that uh it's just something that's not stand-up and i can just do dumb short things it's like it feels more like how stand-up used to feel in just being like a creative outlet that doesn't matter at all um and so i've been enjoying that as much as lots of comedians have been making some very cringe online content recently naming no names uh i have really been striving to keep it as cringe free as possible so uh feel free to check me out on there as well nice one well i'll put all the links in the show notes and that for people as well Wicked. So, and uh, i'm getting straight on onto tiktok to have a look at what you've been up to on there mate as soon oh, as please uh, do. this chat ends and when we all can dances when, yeah and w- well look when we're allowed out outside again we'll um we'll chat and uh We'll, I'll get you up to Manchester for some circuit-style gigs that you uh, that you won't enjoy. As uh, wicked, that sounds well. amazing. Yeah, I <laughs> love it. I'm going to get booed off at some, some special. Some special I'll, gigs, pl- I'll make everyone listen to this first, and then we'll. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Get, let them build up. Make sure their hate is pure before I go on. <laughs> oh no, I really appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for your time. No, absolutely pleasure. Thanks. Well, thanks very much there to Milo Edwards. A really interesting chat. And uh, yeah, great to hear from someone with like such an interesting story and, and take on it, whether you agreed with everything that we had to say between ourselves there or not. Um, but yeah, interesting take on comedy, the circuit and motivations and everything behind it as well. Oh, I miss those chats. That was good fun. Um, oh, yes, it's nice, isn't it? Just nice not to think about all the shit going on at the moment. Um, look, genuinely, guys, I uh, love you all to bits and each and every one of you that listens to this podcast or or gives us a follow on social media at Pull That Reveal. You'll find us on Twitter and Facebook and that's about it, really. Um, but we've got loads of stuff coming up and uh, a few of my other side projects, obviously, at Westeds Comfest, the Westeds Comedy Festival. Uh, we're going to be letting you know new dates for that as soon as we can and also wanted to do some live stuff around that in those venues like literally at the earliest moment that we get told we can put on some live gigs um we've got some really big fun stuff uh, that we want to be doing to help everyone celebrate us being out the other side of what is going on at this moment um and you've also got at lockdown comedy where i'm putting out some silly bits that i'm making and little videos and hopefully 
a bit of work I will be doing with the marvellous sponsor that we have at JoePitt.com. Uh, Those guys, um, yeah, uh, hopefully putting out a bit of content online on that front as well. So, look, thank you so much for listening as always. I hope you enjoyed that. If you're still listening now, you're an absolute superstar. Um, yeah, get in touch, guys. Always good to hear from you. Um, as I said, on the socials at Pullback Reveal, or you can email me pullbackreveal at gmail.com as well. Get in touch on there, and I will be back with another episode real soon. Thanks very much. Sleep well, stay safe, wash your hands, uh, don't touch each other. Thanks. Well, blow me down with a feather if Pullback Reveal don't have a sponsor in the form of JokePit.com, the comedy box office. Oh yes, they are an amazing group of people who predominantly sell tickets for live gigs. Can you remember that? Do you remember when we used to go out and see live comedy? Well, that's what they predominantly do, but they also, during these difficult times, are doing some absolutely sterling work when it comes to promoting comedians, still helping people put some live uh, content out onto social media and streaming stuff and podcast support like they're doing with us now as well which is absolutely amazing you need to check these guys out get yourselves along to jokepit.com to see what they're up to um, for all your comedy needs and wants and desires and some stuff you don't even realize you need uh, is on there as well and hey look if you're a promoter or a stand-up yourself and you're looking for someone to do a bit of promoting for you to help you with those ticket sales and with any other content that you've got you know, you'd be hard pushed to find a better place to go. Check them out. Jokepit.com, the comedy box office.